0: to see all of you. Oh my goodness. Today's been one of those days. You know, it's funny how you can use a certain word with a certain tone and all of a sudden it means something totally different. Have you noticed this? Yeah, I've had one of those. Somebody was telling me they were having one of those weeks and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's not fair when you get more than one Monday in a week, right? I mean, it's just they all gang up on you at once. No, that doesn't happen. Anyway, uh, I am so glad that you are here today and uh, that you've chosen to spend your mother's day with us your Mod- uh, Mother's Day Sunday with us especially those of you who are online too I'm glad that you're here um, over the last couple of weeks I've been talking about how thrive is becoming a presence centered church and we believe that this is where God is leading us and and I've been thinking about this quite a bit over a period of time and talking with some some other people um, uh, pastors around the country. And obviously, the, the idea of being presence-centered is that we're chasing God's presence both individually and corporately. And I think that um, I think that that has some big implications. And I want to talk about that a little bit. <clears throat> my, my fundamental premise, the thing that I'm basing all of this on is um, wrapped up in this idea that discipleship at its core is loving God and loving people. And in, in, in those of you who, who have been here, um, you'll, you'll, you'll see this progression. But Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all that I have commanded. And we, we do pretty good with the going part, and we do you know, fairly good with the baptism part the making disciples part becomes a little dicey because I'm not sure that we've ever really fully grasped all the things that Jesus commanded. And yet, we we know at the very heart of it, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God. You, You know this one. It's in Matthew chapter 22. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love people is the most basic commandment, period. And I'm not sure that as a church uh, universal, that we've really embraced this. I think, in fact, we probably lost that idea over the last, I don't know, 100 years, 1,000 years, I'm not sure, doesn't really matter. The point is, is now that we have this opportunity um, to rethink things, let's go back to the basics, and let's talk about loving God and loving people, and and developed this little two-by-two two diagram where we talk about disciple, loving God, loving people. And a disciple is someone who learns how to love God and love people. And then you get a group of disciples together and you got a church. And the scripture is really clear that a group of disciples is a church and there's no mention of numbers. In fact, the last time that we actually see a number related to a church is in Acts chapter 2, where uh, God added like 3,000 to their number that day. The rest of the time, every other place in the scripture, as far as I can tell so far, there's no mention of numbers. And the church at Antioch ran 550 each Sunday. Doesn't say that. And when Paul addresses his letters to the various churches, we have no idea how big they are because he didn't care. Because there was a group of disciples that were there and he was uh, sending a letter to them so that they would understand some things. So my my most basic premise, my most basic understanding of discipleship is learning to love God and to love others. And what I'm what I'm saying here and I'm, I want to be as blunt about this as I possibly can. I want to be clear. I like clever, but today I want to be clear. <clears throat> everything everything proceeds from loving God loving people. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. The other day I was in a coffee shop, as is my custom, and I'm sitting there and I'm um, eavesdropping, which is also my custom, (coughs) and I was hearing uh, two women speaking, and I think they had some type of uh, athletic trainer type of relationship. One was the trainer of the other, and the one uh, woman was talking to her trainer, and you could tell that she had been building up to this for some time, but that was the day she was going to tell her friend about Jesus. And I really felt bad for her because the trainer wasn't having it. No animosity, no nothing. There was no argument. There was no fighting over it. It's, she was just like, yeah, you know, I'm, thanks, but nah, I'm pretty comfortable with where I'm at. Okay. Now Here's the thing. I have no idea about that, that woman who is presenting the gospel. I don't know anything about her. I don't know uh, what her background is or what her tradition is or how she's been trained or not been trained. I don't know any of those things. But what was very apparent to me in the course of the conversation was that it was not necessarily a God-driven conversation. Does this make sense? And so what I'm saying here is that if you want to do evangelism, it has to start from one source. It has to start from God. God's got to be the one to say, yeah, now's the time to have that conversation. Otherwise, you run the risk of having it fall on deaf ears. Now, that doesn't mean that from time to time things don't work out. I'm not suggesting that at all. But what I'm saying here is that everything, evangelism precedes, from loving God and loving others. I'm not sure that you can truly love others if you don't love God. You have to understand how much he loves you, that he is essentially good, and you start from that position, and then he's gonna speak to you and tell you those moments that you need to have with others. Okay, so let's take evangelism. How about healing? We talk about healing an awful lot. you have to start from the premise that God is good. And if you don't really understand that in your own soul, then you're always gonna have that insecurity and doubt that God might not heal this time. But here's the thing, if you don't take credit for it, you don't have to take blame for it either, right? And so the point is, is that the discipleship at its most fundamental is about loving God and loving others. I don't know how to make it more basic than that. And yet, that's the place that I find myself over and over and over coming back to and just saying, man, this doesn't feel like it's working. Okay, all right, God, where's my love here? And having him help shape me and mold me in those particular directions. So I'm trying to get this down to the most basic level and then start building up from there. And so we're working through this little two-by-two grid that that um, Uh, that kind of emerged out of this discussion, and we're trying to understand um, what we're after as a church. And I think think the thing to remember here is, as you look at this grid, is Jesus is the leader. And this is the direction that he's taking us. He wants us to learn how to love God and love people, and then not to do that just as disciples, but also as a group of disciples as a church. And so we're looking for the presence of God in each one of these quadrants trying to understand and, and sketching out what which, which each one of these looks like. So last week, you might recall, um, when a disciple loves God, how we do that is we call that the encounter. And that's the place where you carve out some time to spend with, with God on a regular basis. Now, you get to define what regular is. I know that for me, what I need is daily, your, your mileage may be, may be different. You might need them once a week. I, good luck with that, but it's, you know, it might be that. Um, some of you might say, I need it hourly. Yeah, I've been there too. I, I get it. But, but in that moment where we're learning how to love God is you have to actually spend time with him. And, and I keep coming back to this idea of if I only spent um, you know, an hour with my spouse once a week, my relationship's going to be pretty shoddy. And at the same time, what I want to tell you is I don't want to bludgeon you with this or make you feel shameful if you're spending only an hour with God every week. Here's the beautiful thing. God will meet you right where you are, and you can build from there, okay? So if you want to understand this a little bit more, then um, go watch the recording, and you can kind of get the details. And uh, we'll, we'll be returning to this stuff as we go um, over and over. But what we're trying to do is create some unhurried time to actually listen to God and record the things that he's saying. And the, the tool that we use here is a journal. Um, you can choose, choose to do something different. I just happen to know that a journal works. Um, it works for me, and it works for uh, probably about 100 other people that I know, and I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's that number, about 100 and this is how a disciple begins to love God, is spending time listening and recording the things that they hear, so that you have got a reference to it. So now the question um, comes to mind, is how does a disciple learn how to love people? we talked about loving God, how do they love people? We're gonna look at this bottom uh, quadrant. And this is what we call ministry. And I wanna talk about this today because I think this is um, rather important. <coughs> We check in with God in the encounter, um, but here in this bottom corner is we begin to implement the things that we hear, okay? Um, For those of you who are familiar with the triangle that we use here um, an awful lot, it looks kind of like this. Is that in that bottom part of the triangle, you have that relationship between you and God. That's the encounter. You, You want to develop that relationship. But you are given some type of trust, whether that's your life, whether that's your assignment, whether that's your um, vocation or occupation. You can put whatever you want up at the top. And and what happens is, is that God empowers us to do ministry for that place that's a sacred trust. So I know that I have opportunity to minister to my family. And I need God to help me with that. So ministry becomes that part of um, uh, that uh uh, left side of the triangle as you're looking at it. Or right side of the triangle, sorry. I'm looking like this, but you're looking at the same thing I'm looking at. So if you're using the triangle, um, this is kind of where, th- where all this falls together. You can, you can see this. And so we rely on God's power to actually do what he's asking us to do. We're following God with action, not just with, with, uh, with listening and recording. And so um, I want to look through the text a little bit because I want to show you some things because there's, there's an interesting little dynamic that begins to emerge when you, when you start to consider this with some detail. And of course, we're going to start with Jesus because it's always a really good place to start, right? So here's John chapter 14. We read this one last week. I want you to see it again. John is with his disciples <clears throat> prior to his arrest and then crucifixion. And he says, I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now remember, we spent a lot of time last, last week working our way through this. The fact that God or, or that Jesus actually listened to God the Father and would only say the things that God told him to say. And here he says, I do exactly what the Father has commanded me to actually do, right? So there's action here. It's not just listening and recording, but there's actually some um, action here. So I I do what God has commanded. So Jesus is listening, but he's also acting. That's the idea. So what did Jesus actually do? If he did what the Father commanded him, what did he actually do? Well, of course, he taught, and we know that. There's some great blocks of teaching, and there's the sermon on the... On the mount, there's a sermon on the plain. There's a couple of places in Mark. I mean, there's plenty of places where Jesus uh, uh, um, taught about the kingdom of God, Um, but also he did stuff. He did all kinds of things. I want you to see uh, a couple of these. So let's turn to Mark chapter three. Here it is. Boy, that one's really small. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Can you imagine this? A shriveled hand. I don't know what that really means. Um, I haven't given it a whole lot of thought. Um, but Jesus said to the man, stand up in front of everybody. And I have to think to myself, I'm like, I can't imagine what that guy was, was feeling in that moment. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. Wow. Wow. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Okay, that's just cool. It's not cool how the religious elites treated him. But at the same time, to see that happen in the church, in the synagogue, that had to have been spectacular. I can't even imagine I wonder what it was like when he got home that day. So there, Jesus did this thing. Now he's in the process of teaching. He's distressed about their stubborn hearts, and yet he still does this miracle. Here's another one, Mark chapter 8. They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes. Really? Okay. And put his hands on him. Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Uh, Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. This is an interesting story. Because later on, in Mark chapter 10, just two chapters later, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large, large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Love that. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So there's no spit, right? There's no two times. It just happened automatically. So we know that healings are not a formula. It's not a magic incantation that makes this occur. But rather, it's the work of Jesus, work of the Holy Spirit, doing whatever it is that he's commanding us to do, and, and he's going to be teaching a lesson along the way. And at some point, we're going to break these apart. And we're going to look at them in a little more detail because there's quite a bit in both those stories. are very rich when it comes to learning uh, about the bigger lessons that God is trying to teach through some of the miraculous signs and wonders. <coughs> so here he's dealing with blindness. So shriveled hand, now blindness. Um, in John chapter 5, we find this story. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people uh, used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, the legend goes that in that pool, a, a spirit, or a genie, believe it or not, would stir the waters, and whoever got into the water first, when the water stirred, was instantly healed. And here you have someone who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Can you imagine? 38 years, you need someone's help to just move around. 38 years. It's astonishing. Jesus goes up, <coughs> said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I have skipped over part of the story, but I want you to see this. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Just a word. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now, I want you to keep this particular story in the back of your mind as we move forward because we're gonna kind of come back to this, all right? So keep this story in the back of your mind. Pick up your mat and walk. And I want you to notice what Jesus does with his disciples. This is Luke chapter nine. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So this is what he does. He gathers them all together, and he gives them authority to do the same things that he's been doing all along. So they get a chance to do it. Everybody gets the opportunity to play. Everybody does. So he gives them authority, sends them out to preach. And that might be a pro tip, folks, if you really think about it, that there's some type of connection here between proclaiming the kingdom and seeing these types of Uh, I'm going to call them signs and wonders in order to support the fact that the kingdom of God is near. That uh, I think we're supposed to follow suit in some way. Now, I want you to fast forward to the the book of Acts. I know I'm blowing through scripture here, but this is, I think, going to be important. And we're going to fast forward to this, because in Acts chapter 3, one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, remember, Jesus is gone at this point. This is Acts chapter 3. He ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, and the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, they're just going to prayer at the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth, that's interesting, he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. So, there was a gate where you would enter the temple and he was put there and you know, hopefully if you're going to the church, you might feel compassion on somebody and, and so you might, um, uh, he might be able to get a few coins or something to eat um, because he's begging there. <clears throat> then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Again, isn't that cool? I mean, that would be something to actually see where you, you, you watch someone um, who's not able to walk can actually walk. So Jesus did that with the person by the, by the pool. And now here his disciples are doing the same thing. Are you seeing this? So they're given the authority to do this and they take it and they run with it. Now, don't get me wrong, that took a lot of, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot of faith to say, well, if I tell somebody to get up and walk, they're actually going to get up and walk. (coughs) I get it. But I want to make an observation here that I think is really important um, from the text. And it seems to me that ministry in general is done almost exclusively one-on-one, person-to-person. And I think this is really important, Um, because this is why we put it here in this particular quadrant when we talk about ministry. Now, look, we talk about ministries of the church, right? Uh, The church has a certain type of ministry, and I get that, but in truth, most churches run programs or events. That's what we do, and we call those ministries of the church, but when we talk about ministry in a biblical sense of the word, it really is one-on-one, person-to-person, And think about this, if you've had opportunity to pray for someone else in a group, there's usually one person who's leading that prayer. And there's usually one person in that group, um, you know, not everybody's necessarily praying at the same time, but it's moving around and sometimes the spirit will hit you with with something that you wanna pray, but um, most of the time, at least as I've, I've experienced it, yes, there's people praying in the background, but there's always one person who is ministering to that individual one at a time. It happens person to person one-on-one, almost exclusively, and we see Jesus do this, and we see uh, the disciples do this. Notice it was Peter and John who were actually walking to the temple, probably the oldest disciple and the youngest disciple, most likely, and they're walking to the temple, but who is it that says to that person, get up and walk? Peter does. Peter didn't come up and say, hey, John, let's lay, lay hands on this person, and let's pray for them. It's okay if we do that. The point that I'm trying to make is it was one-on-one. It was person-to-person. Are you seeing this? And so when we talk about ministry, ministry, when it happens in the biblical sense, is almost always, as far as I can tell, done one-on-one, person-to-person. Or I can at least say this, the majority of times, this is how ministry is expressed, person-to-person, okay? Now, I'm not saying that we run ministries or run programs or events. I'm not I'm offering a criticism. You have to have systems and processes anytime you get a group of people together. You've got to have donuts on Mother's Day. Somebody's got to actually go get the donuts, right? You've got to have certain systems and processes. But what I'm trying to point out is that the biblical story, when it comes to actual ministry, when we actually want to see the kingdom of God become manifest, that it's person to person. And it's usually one person listening to God and then responding to to him as they're directed. And it's usually person to person. I can't get away from that. It's very interesting to me. Now, the real question is, how do we go about cultivating this type of of ministry? (laughs) So if we are listening and recording to God in the encounter, that's the upper left quadrant, um, the real question is, uh, you know, how do we learn how to love people? what are what are the practices that we actually need um, to do in order to um, develop that idea of ministry? And foremost, um, a disciple responds to what they hear God saying. So you see how important the encounter is is that, uh, otherwise, you run the risk of just trying to do it on your own. And let me let me just ask you, how's that working out for you? It's always a stronger position to follow God into a ministry environment than for you to try to make it up on your own and hope, hope that God comes alongside of you. You understand what I'm saying? Now, there may be opportunities you want to take advantage of, and God might, um, might, you know, support you in that. I don't know that. But I know for me is I want to start from a position of God is active, I get, to, I get to play. I get to be a part of that. And I want to uh, respond to the things that he's telling me. And I think this is really an um, important piece of it because that's where ministry happens one-on-one, I think. And so b- ultimately, disciples, and you've heard me say this before, listen and respond. We listen to God, that's loving God, and we respond, that's loving people because God's heart is usually on, on others, okay? So keep that in mind most basic way that we learn how to love God and love people is to listen and respond. Now the other practice that I wanna, I wanna, <laughs> I wanna um, suggest to you, or offer to you, is something that you can try, and uh, um, well, let me just put it up there. It's called priesting. Uh, if you've taken my discipleship class, we talk about this idea of priesting. How do you priest for someone? Well, the ancient priest used to stand in the gap between people and God. They facilitated a relationship there. And so when we priest, um, what we're essentially doing is we are sitting with God, listening to God on behalf of another person. You might want to write that one down because I think this is really a a good thing. This is not the same thing as just praying for somebody. It's okay. You should pray for people. But at the same time, there comes a point where you may have a set of circumstances where that person really needs to hear from God. And so one of the things you can do is in your encounter time, you can bring that name before God and simply say, Lord, is there anything that you want me to know? Is there anything that you want to say to this person? Is there any insight that you want to give? I want to stand um, for this person. I want to listen to you on behalf of this person. Let me tell you, when the Lord chooses to download, is some of the most powerful stuff you'll ever hear. Try priesting for your kids someday. Whew, wow. Or your spouse. The things that you begin to hear because God loves talking about that kind of stuff. I really believe that. Some of the best downloads that I've ever received from the Lord has been when I'm priesting for someone else. So it's listening to God on behalf of another person. It's prayer, but with a kind of a longer commitment, okay? You've got to spend a little more time. So here's a couple of steps that you can take. The first step is to pray for the person um, or the group that you're, you're priesting for. And you're going to ask for blessing. You may ask for healing. Um, whatever the need is, that's what you want to present to the Lord. You, you pray for them. And then in your second step, you ask God if there's anything he wants to say about that person or about that situation, God, is there anything that you want to interject here? I want to listen to you. And then third is, you do your encounter steps, you listen and record. Record the things that you hear. Because at some point, you may uh, have opportunity to share it with that person, and you want to be able to refer to it directly. Um, a couple of years ago, the Lord um, gave me a word about someone else, but he, he told me very clearly, it's not for me to say. I'm telling you that this is happening, but you can't say anything about it until I, I let you, you tell them. And as of right now, I still don't have a release to tell that person the thing that I heard. I don't know why, but I want to honor what God has to say. Okay, so you want to listen and you want to record, which by the way, I recorded the thing that I heard so that when the Lord's ready for me to, to tell this person what he wants me to tell them, I can go back and I can refer to it because I forget things, I really do. I forget what I did last week. So, you know, um, I don't want to forget anything that the Lord has to say. And then finally, in the last step, is you only share when the Holy Spirit directs you. Does this make sense? That's priesting for someone else. And it's a beautiful thing if you get the opportunity to do it. So in summary, what I'm trying to say is that a disciple loves God by listening and recording, but he loves people by responding and priesting. That's how we love people. I know there's a a move within the church to to take on things like social justice, and I'm I'm a big fan of social justice. But I think what often happens is that we replace um, listening and responding with social justice. And what often happens is that you'll find someone who's got a social justice cause in their mind, and they get all mad when nobody else feels the same way they do about that particular social justice cause. When in fact, the real issue is, what is God telling you to do about that particular issue? If it upsets you, if it makes you mad, if it grabs your heart, pulls on your heartstrings, whatever it happens to be, God may be speaking to you about that. But remember, ministry happens one-on-one. So from time to time, people will come and say, I think the church needs to be involved X, Y, and Z. And one of the things that we like to say is, well, we're pretty sure that God is telling you to be part of X, Y, and Z, and we want to support you in that endeavor. But ultimately speaking, ministry happens one-on-one. So what is God saying to you about that particular cause? And and maybe what is he inviting you uh, to do to be a part of it? So keep this in mind. So a disciple loves people by responding and priesting. Now, of course, um, as we have uh, in the encounter, we have a tool, the journal. Here in ministry, we also have a tool. We have the spiritual gifts. God gives us tools in order to um, love other people. Now, if you want to know what the spiritual gifts are, there's uh, the, the two main li- um, lists in the Bible are in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, There's also one in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. You should look them up. It would be good for you to do that. Some people include Ephesians chapter 4. I don't agree with that one. I don't think those are spiritual gifts. I think they're something else entirely. But Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4 are kind of the the main lists. (coughs) Um, Primary lists is what I'll call them. Uh, there's lots of online tests that you can take with this stuff, too. But you, you really need to take two or three of those tests because the way they ask the questions kind of changes how you respond to them and so that you can tr- kind of triangulate maybe what your spiritual gifts are. But I want to make two comments about spiritual gifts because I think this is really important. Um, first of all, you need to understand, I believe the gifts are available for people today. Um, I think I think this is really important. Um there are some churches who don't. They think that the Bible is sufficient and I, I, the way they get there doesn't make sense to me. <clears throat> but I do think that the gifts are still available, one, because I've experienced them and I've seen other people experience them. So let's keep get that one out of the way. I am, however, a little cautious about it. I want to make sure that it is actually a, a spiritual gift given by Holy Spirit in order to accomplish um, some type of you know, God-directed objective. I guess I'll call it that. So are we charismatic? Uh, yes, but with seatbelts Or with five-point harnesses, <laughs> probably is a better way of saying it. So I do, I do think that they're available, but I'm, uh, I'm open, but I'm a little cautious about it because I wanna make sure that it's definitely a God-directed sort of thing. The other thing that I wanna say is that, you know, you've got these lists of, of gifts, but you know what, we serve a God of infinite creativity, and so there might be others. I'm just going to say that out loud. I don't know what they are. I'm not even going to speculate, but sometimes when you're when you when you're the only Christian in the room and God wants you to do something, you're elected and you're going to be gifted to do it. I believe that. I, I actually believe that that's the case. So, you know, if he wants to to give gifts, and by the way, I do think that all of the gifts are available for all disciples. Now, it's okay to ask for one specifically. I think it's perfectly fine to do that. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And I've told you this before. I've read that verse I don't know how many times, and I missed it. So it's fine for you to ask for a specific spiritual gift. There's nothing wrong with that. I do think that everybody gets at least one at, at some point in their um in uh, in their discipleship. But it's perfectly fine that if you're following God that you ask him for gifts. I know that there are certain ones that I've been asking for and just saying, hey, Lord, you know, I would be a lot more effective if I could, you know. And so we'll see what the Lord says. I'm okay with that. But the essence of ministry here, essence of ministry is responding and priesting for others with God's spiritual gifts. And it happens one-on-one. The most powerful ministry happens one-on-one. And of course, the value that's on display in the ministry quadrant is simply this. It's courage. Remember, the value that we're trying to express in the encounter and in, in, in loving God is unhurried. I need to have unhurried time with God at, at some level so that I can actually hear what he's saying. But when it's time for ministry, when it's time to do the things that God is directing, here's the issue. It's courage. Because I'm going to tell you right now, and I've said this before, there are moments that God asks you to do things, and you're going to feel like an idiot. You're going to feel foolish. Like, I can't do that. And that's where courage becomes so important. It's to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what. And the upshot is, God has a lot of grace, so you can take baby steps in that direction. Well, I don't know how I'm going to talk about that. Well, how about we trust God and see what he says? And so you take that baby step, whatever it happens to be. But it's courage. When God speaks and he directs, we need to follow up with courage to actually go do the stuff. Last week, I told you that you know, there's a cost to discipleship, and it's sometimes feeling foolish. So we develop courage as we listen or respond. You don't have to get it right the first time. You can actually learn as you go. great example of this is Peter. Peter, I, every time I hear Peter's name, I hear Chris Berman, the old sportscaster, in the back of my mind going, he's stumbling, bumbling to the end zone. That's Peter. And I am an awful lot like Peter. I feel like I stumble and bumble my way forward. But the fact of the matter is, it's always person to person. I I don't know how to get away from that. Now, I do think that sometimes things will happen in the assembly because the Holy Spirit is doing something but there's always one person who's ministering one-to-one at some level, and we can see that everywhere. And that can be you if you have the courage to listen and record, respond, and to priest. It takes those things. Now, I don't know what that means for you today. Some of you are just going to have to sit and absorb this and go, Oh, wow, what do I do with this? Hey, you know what? That's a great question to ask in your time with Jesus. That's a great question for your journal if you have one of those. And I suggest that you do. But this is where we're moving as a church, is just saying, okay, how do we take this seriously? If it really is about loving God and loving people, what does that look like? How do I develop that? How can I be that way? How can I, how can I have some confidence that this is what God is doing? And imagine what that would look like if you have individual people all listening and responding to what God is saying, and they're ministering to one another, and the people around them. I don't know about you, but that sounds an awful lot like the kingdom of God to me. And I'm really interested in that. I want to know what that's like. So today is a heavy teaching kind of day. I want you to see these types of things. I threw a lot of scripture passages at you. I normally don't like to do that, but I wanted you to see the full breadth of this. It is all over the place where you see Jesus and his disciples ministering to individuals. And the beautiful part is, that hasn't changed. He's still calling us. He's still inviting each one of us to be in that type of relationship with him and the people around him. And if that scares you a little bit, that's okay. It's supposed to. But deep down inside, isn't there a part of you that wants to wants to be a part of that, that wants to participate in that type of life, let alone church? I think so. God, you're so good to us. You let us be a part of what it is that you're doing. And God, I'll be honest, I don't want to miss out on any of it. I want to see what it's like to, to listen and to respond to you Daily. I want to I know <clears throat> what it's like to have the people around me listening and responding to you and seeing you not only just show up in different ways but also uh, leading them and guiding them to a, a new understanding of your goodness because you are good. We start with that idea is that you're good. At the very heart, you're good and you're holy and you're righteous. And you settled everything at the cross. We don't have to worry about that and nothing is impossible with you because of it. It's just a fundamental truth that those things that we see around us that seem so overwhelming and so just unstoppable. There's plenty of it out there but to hear the stories of those who overcome because they listened and they responded to you, oh God, that's what we're after. And we invited you at the very beginning to be here in the midst of our congregation today because this is your church. I just get to be an associate. So Holy Spirit, as we sing, I would once again just invite you to come and visit as you see fit and the people who are gathered here. Lord, would you speak to them in some way? Would you let them see this bigger thing that you're doing and how all of us can be a part of it? And once again, Lord, I know that um, (laughs) in a group this size, there are those who are feeling a voice inside of their head saying, "Nah, I can't do that. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have it all together. I don't have all my time worked out. I, 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 I can't handle one more project. And I just I'm just not strong enough to, to do this. That's the voice of shame. And in Jesus' name, it must be silent. Voice of shame, be silent now in Jesus' name. He's beckoning you, he's calling you, he's saying, no, 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 no. this is not for shame to interfere with, this is something that I have for you. I want you to listen and respond and and you don't have to get it right the first time. All you have to do is just keep walking forward, walking with me in this, letting me teach you, that's all he's asking you to do. And in your heart, you have the opportunity to say yes. Okay, God want to do that. And Lord, you know my heart. I want to say yes to you uh, as much as I possibly can. So Lord, I just invite you to be here with us today and to speak to us. And uh, if there's something that's going on inside and you need some prayer today, um, after service, I'm going to be up here. I'm happy to pray with you. Love to do that. Maybe maybe this idea of loving God and loving people just seems overwhelming. Hey, let's pray about that one too. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so good. You're just so good. And we get to be a part of this with you. Thanks for being with us today, Lord. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.